Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 242, Maxim Gorky. Last time, we covered the life of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Today, we end our three-part series about writers of Russia and the Soviet Union with another author of note, Maxim Gorky. Alexei Maximovich Peshkov, a.k.a. Maxim Gorky, was born on March 28, 1868 in Nizhny Novgorod. His early life was not an easy one, as he became an orphan at the age of 11. His father had died when he was only five. His grandparents would take him in after his father passed away, and the mother couldn't take care of him. The young boy would be treated poorly by his grandfather, often beating him, but his grandmother would show him affection. At the age of eight, Maxim was forced to go to work by his grandfather. The jobs he would try included being an assistant in a soap maker's shop, an errand boy for an icon maker, and a dishwasher on a Volga steamer, where the cook introduced him to reading, soon to become his primary passion in life. Frequently beaten by his employers, nearly always hungry and ill-clothed, he came to know the seamy side of Russian life as few other Russian authors before or since. The bitterness of these early experiences later led him to choose the word Gorky for his last name, which means bitter as a pseudonym. By the age of 12, he had had enough of the abuse, so he ran away. Much of Maxim's late adolescence and early manhood were spent in Kazan, where he worked as a baker, docker, and night watchman. There he first learned about Russian revolutionary ideas from representatives of the populist movement, whose tendency to idealize the Russian peasant he later rejected. Oppressed by the misery of his surroundings, he attempted suicide by shooting himself in December 1887. Thankfully, for the literary world, he was unsuccessful and left minimal damage to his body. Many believe that his attempt was just a call for help, and he was not serious about committing suicide. Leaving Kazan at the age of 21, he became a tramp, doing odd jobs of all kinds during extensive wanderings through southern Russia. The suicide attempt would lead to Maxim's stroll through Russia for the following five years. After those long, harsh years, he would write about his experiences. In 1892, his first short story, Makar Chudra, was published by the newspaper Kavkaz, also known as the Caucasus, in Tiflis, where he had spent several weeks. It would be the first time he used the name Maxim Gorky. His first published work in 1899 was Essays and Stories. It would be an overnight success and catapult Gorky into the writing stratosphere. Knowing that he was now considered an accomplished writer, would have no problem getting published, he fell into an almost manic writing phase. Gorky would write about the lives of people in the lowest strata and on the margins of society, revealing their hardships and humiliations how they were subject to brutal conditions, but also that admirable inward spark of humanity. In 1899, 
Gorky began associating with the growing Marxist-Socialist movement within Russia. Of course, this was a dangerous time for those who opposed the Tsarist regime. Maxim was arrested numerous times for his outspoken opposition to the Tsarist regime and his radical writing. Gorky would also develop a close relationship with the Bolsheviks, becoming particularly close to Vladimir Lenin. This relationship would fracture after the Russian Revolution, something I'm going to discuss shortly. Gorky's style in writing at the turn of the 20th century was to show the difference between the peasants who understood that they were valuable and had something to give to the greater good and those who succumbed to the degrading conditions of life around them. Both his writings and letters reveal a restless man struggling to resolve contradictory feelings of faith and skepticisms, love of life and disgust at the vulgarity and pettiness of the human world. His reputation in Russia was soaring, while in the rest of the world, they began to acknowledge the genius in his writing. One of the inspirations for Gorky's writing was the ancient Jewish sage Hillel the Elder. Maxim would write, quote, In my early youth, I read the words of Hillel, if I remember rightly, if thou art not for thyself, who will be for thee? But if thou art for thyself alone, wherefore art thou? The inner meaning of these words impressed me with its profound wisdom. The thought ate its way deep into my soul, and I say now with conviction, Hillel's wisdom served as a strong staff on my road, which was neither even nor easy. I believe that Jewish wisdom is more all-human and universal than any other, and this not only because of its immemorial age, but because of the powerful humanness that saturates it, because of its high estimate of man. For those of you who don't know who Hillel was, he was an almost mythical figure born in Babylon in 11, uh, 110 BCE and died in Jerusalem supposedly in 10 CE. That would make him about 120 years old at his death. Probably highly unlikely. Uh, he was a Jewish leader and writer famous for two particular sayings. And as I just said it, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And being only for myself, what am I? If not now, when? And the expression of the ethic of reciprocity, what we know as the golden rule. That which is hateful to you, do not do unto your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn. One of the biggest complaints Gorky had with the Tsarist government was obviously censorship. He was also a stern critic of the anti-Semitic leanings of the Tsar and his administration. This was made apparent by what is known in Russia as the Matvey-Golovinsky affair. Golovinsky has been fingered as the author of the infamous book, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a forged work purporting to describe a Jewish plan for global domination. Its authenticity has been exposed numerous times since its first publication in 1902. The Nazis made every school child read it when they came to power in 1933. 
It played a crucial part in popularizing belief in an international Jewish conspiracy and is still being used today by some on the radical right, even though it has been shown without a doubt to be a forged piece of material. Gorky actually exposed Govolinsky as the author, confirmed in 1999 by modern Russian historian Mikhail Lepkin, who had access to French and Russian archives, showing that Govolinsky was the perpetrator of the hoax. In 1902, Gorky was elected an honorary academician of literature, but Tsar Nicholas II ordered this annulled. In protest, both Anton Chekhov and Vladimir Korolenko left the academy. Still, seeing that the revolutionary air in Russia was growing, Gorky's writings became more and more optimistic in nature. Between 1900 and 1905, he would publish works that would have the reader believe that there was light at the end of the tunnel for the millions of Russians living miserable lives under the Tsarist regime. Unfortunately, it would end abruptly after January 9, 1905, a day known to history as Bloody Sunday. But of course, this is what would start the revolution of 1905. While the revolution failed in providing the needed reforms, Vladimir Lenin would later say that the revolution of 1905 was, quote-unquote, the great dress rehearsal, without which the, quote, victory of the October Revolution in 1917 would have been impossible. In 1904, Gorky severed his relationship with the Moscow Art Theater in the wake of conflict with Vladimir Nemirovich Danchenko. Gorky returned to Nizhny Novgorod to establish a theater of his own. By now, Maxim was a relatively wealthy writer. He would help fund the project, but would fail as the Tsar's censors would ban any production of any of the plays. With his growing wealth, Gorky would help fund the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party, also known as the RSDLP. It was this organization that would split apart in 1903 into the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks. Maxim would side with the Bolsheviks for the time being. His political writings would flower during this time, with his most famous work being the 1902 book, The Lower Depths. Imprisoned in Peter and Paul Fortress after the 1905 Russian Revolution, Gorky wrote the play Children of the Sun, nominally set during an 1862 cholera epidemic, but universally understood to relate to the present-day events. He was released from prison after a European-wide campaign supported by Marie Curie, Auguste Rodin, and Anatole France, amongst others. The Moscow Revolution of 1905 was another spot that saw Gorky support the radicals. Unfortunately for Maxim, his apartment was raided by the ultra-conservative Black Hundreds. It would cause him to flee Russia, landing first at Lake Saima, Finland. The following year, the Bolsheviks asked Gorky to head to the United States to help raise funds. While there, he wrote his book, Mother, his notable novel of a revolutionary conversion and struggle. Unfortunately, his trip to the U.S. was not without controversy. Instead of traveling with his wife, he was accompanied by his mistress, 
Maria Andrieva. The ensuing scandal would severely curtail his fundraising. After finding out about the affair, Maximin's, Maxim's invitation to the White House from President Teddy Roosevelt was canceled. On top of that, despite being invited to New York by none other than Mark Twain, no hotel in Manhattan would rent them a room, so they were forced to find lodgings in Staten Island. An amnesty granted for the 300th anniversary of the Romanov dynasty allowed Gorky to return to Russia in 1914. He continued his social criticism, mentored other writers, and wrote a series of critical cultural memoirs, including the first part of his autobiography. After the February Revolution of 1917 finally saw the end of the Romanov reign, Gorky saw a ray of light and initially backed provisional government. However, this changed dramatically because of the Kornilov affair, and this was, if you remember, a supposed military attempt at a coup d'etat. This soured Maxim on the standing government. In July 1917, Gorky wrote about his own experiences with the Russian working class. He brushed aside the, quote, notions that Russian workers are the incarnation of spiritual beauty and kindness, which is something that the Bolsheviks believed in. Maxim admitted that he felt attracted to Bolshevism, but admitted to concerns about a belief that made the entire working class, quote, sweet and reasonable. I had never known people who were really like this. Gorky wrote that he knew the poor, the carpenters, stevedores, bricklayers, in a way the intellectual Lenin never did. And he frankly distrusted them. After the October Revolution took down the provisional government, Gorky began distrusting and disliking the Bolshevik leadership, notably Vladimir Lenin. Along with Leon Trotsky, Maxim was known to have said that they, quote, had become poisoned with the filthy venom of power. Gorky continued with a scathing criticism when he wrote that Lenin, quote, was a cold-blooded trickster who spares neither the honor nor the life of the proletariat. He does not know the popular masses. He has not lived with them. Things went from bad to worse between the Bolsheviks and Gorky when his newspaper, Novaya Zhin, or New Life, fell under the censorship of the ruling party. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, Maxim hated censorship. Didn't matter whether it was the Tsar or Lenin, it was a major sin in Gorky's mind. So he published a collection of essays critical of the Bolsheviks called Untimely Thoughts in 1918. These essays would not be published in Russia until the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Gorky would write in Untimely Thoughts that, quote, Lenin and his associates considered it possible to commit all kinds of crimes, the abolition of free speech, and senseless arrests. In July 1921, Gorky pleaded with the world that a crisis was developing in the USSR. It would be known as the Russian famine of 1921-22, also known as the Povolozh famine, which killed an estimated 5 million, particularly affecting the Volga and Ural River regions. 
The June through August 1921 trial of the socialist revolutionaries was yet another incident that caused Gorky to become disillusioned with the Bolsheviks. He would denounce the trial as a, quote, cynical and public preparation for the murder of the people who had fought for the freedom of the Russian people. He also wrote to Soviet Vice Premier Alexei Rykov, asking him to tell Leon Trotsky that any death sentences carried out on the defendants would be, quote, premeditated and foul murder, unquote. While none of the convicted 12 men would be executed at that time, none would survive the great terror of the late 1930s. When Nikolai Gumilev was arrested in August 1921, Anna Akhmatova begged Gorky to appeal to the Bolsheviks for his release. He did get that favor given to him, but it was too late. As Akhmatova would write, quote, It is true that people asked him to intervene. Gorky had a strong dislike of Gumilev, but he nevertheless promised to do something. He could not keep his promise because the sentence of death was announced and carried out with unexpected haste before Gorky had got round to doing anything. By October 1921, Gorky was forced to leave the Soviet Union, not because of politics, but because he had contracted tuberculosis. At first, Maximina's new mistress, Maura Budberg, headed to Berlin, where they requested that he be allowed to return to the island of Capri to rest and recover from his illness. This was denied. Part of the reason was the rise of the fascist party led by Benito Mussolini. Gorky, though, was permitted to settle in Sorrento, though where he lived from 1922 to 1932. Others that would stay with him included Maura Budberg, his ex-wife Andrieva, her lover Pyotr Kreyechkov, who acted as Gorky's secretary and who was initially a spy for the NKVD for the remainder of his life, Gorky's son Max Peshkov, Max's wife Tomosha, and their two young daughters. Now, even though Gorky was reasonably well off and was still writing and selling his works, the financial strain of living with such a large group of people was terribly expensive. This strain would begin the process, starting in 1928, of his trying to return to the Soviet Union. Gorky decided to make amends with the communist regime, now headed by Joseph Stalin. His first visit was in May 1928, the same time as the so-called Shakti trial of 57 or 53 engineers employed in the coal industry, one of whom, Pyotr Ozdici, had visited Gorky in Sorrento in 1922 when the first show trials were held. Maxim condemned them. However, during the Shakti trial, he backed the government, going so far as to apologize for not supporting them during the earlier trial. Gorky began to make friends with people like Genrik Yagoda, head of the OGPU, along with several secret police officers. They would visit him back in Sorrento in 1930, always keeping tabs on the writer, despite his claims of support for the USSR. There's been a lot of debate as to whether Gorky really felt this way, or if it was just his wanting to get into good graces with Stalin. My thought is, 
He really had to get out of Italy, as was turning into a fascist state, as Mussolini was on the verge of gaining power there. However, with his financial difficulties increasing, Gorky felt an increased need to move back to his home country, despite all of the risks. When Gorky returned from fascist Italy in 1931, it was a significant propaganda victory for the Soviets. He was decorated with the Order of Lenin and given a mansion in Moscow with a dacha in the suburbs. The city of Nizhny Novgorod and the surrounding province were renamed Gorky, Moscow's main park, Gorky Park. In one of the central Moscow streets, Tverskaya was renamed in his honor, as was the Moscow Art Theater. The largest fixed-wing aircraft in the world in the mid-1930s, the Tupolev ANT-20, was named the Maxim Gorky in his honor. Stalin decided to start the Union of Soviet Writers in 1932, naming Maxim its first president. Previously, on October 11, 1931, Gorky read his famous fairy tale poem, A Girl in Death, which he wrote in 1892 to his visitors Joseph Stalin, Clement Voroshilov, and Vyacheslav Molotov. Unfortunately, as was the case many times, Stalin and Voroshilov were drunk at the party, which greatly upset Maxim. One of the more shameful episodes in Gorky's life was to occur in 1933, when he, alongside fellow writers Averbach and Firin, wrote a work about the building of the White Sea Baltic Canal. The canal was opened in that same year, primarily by slave labor from the local gulags. Gorky would write that it was an example of, quote, successful rehabilitation of the former enemies of the proletariat. Maxim would deny that any of the people working on the canal died, which is a complete falsehood. Instead, thousands would die of starvation and brutally cold conditions. When a 14-year-old boy told Gorky that the conditions were appalling and that there was little to no food or proper clothing, he was shocked. But he did little to help the young boy. After Maxim left, the boy was shot to death. Gorky would try to help friends get out of the gulags, but the best he could do was to reduce their sentences by a year or two. Maxim would continue to write propaganda uh, letters and articles for the official newspaper Pravda. By 1934, though, Gorky was beginning to become disillusioned by the communist government. He was set to make a speech to the first Soviet Writers' Congress in August. Maxim submitted his address to the Politburo, many of whom were appalled by it. So much so that Lazar Kaganovich, Vyacheslav Molotov, Clement Voroshilov, and Andrei Zhdanov were sent to persuade him to make changes. Unfortunately, the speech had already made its way to the hands of a number of attendees. This was the beginning of the end for Gorky's influence over Soviet writers. Because of Gorky's refusal to blindly obey the policies of Stalinism, he lost the party's goodwill and spent his last days under unannounced house arrest. Gorky suffered a terrible loss in May 1934 when his son Maxim Peshkov died. 
This, along with the increased pressures on him, would lead to a downward spiral. With the growing repression before the Great Terror, Gorky was now under full house arrest. Even his long-serving secretary and friend, Pyotr Krejcikov, had been recruited by Yogada as a paid informer. Days prior to his death on June 18, 1936, Gorky was visited by Stalin, Yagoda, and other leading communists. While Maxim was indeed quite sick at the time, there was growing sentiment that he was likely poisoned by the secret police at the order of Stalin. As a result, he became a liability, and the Soviet leader was in the midst of starting the Great Terror in August. Maxim Gorky was a controversial man and author. He wrote nine novels, nine novellas, 16 plays, eight works of nonfiction, three essays, two poems, and three autobiographies. So no matter what you think of him, his legacy is a big one. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we change directions when we discuss the numerous Russo-Turkish wars, wars which greatly affected the Russian and Ottoman empires. So until next time, das vidanya is pasiba borshoya.